Hi, everybody. Today, we welcome Helen. Helen grew up in an Armenian-American family where old-fashioned gender norms were strictly enforced by the man of the house, her father. As a result, Helen feels pressured from all sides by the expectations and duties her culture and family impose on her, both as a daughter and potential wife. Let's get into it. My name is Helen Bazikian. I am a first-generation Armenian-American, and in my family, we call mom and dad, mama and papa. So the relationships with my mom and dad, um, they've been very loving, caring, supportive. Um, I've always looked up to uh, them because, you know, they're immigrants from Armenia. They came when they were in their 20s. Uh, I also, you know, I wanted to make them proud. I wanted to please them. It's something that now that I'm older, I'm breaking out of. The Armenian culture, it's a patriarchal culture and it's kind of a lot of what the man of the house wants. And if you're a female in that household, it's uh, difficult. With my dad, it's kind of like the expectations, you know, and he, in my culture, men really want to have a son and he didn't have one. So, uh, I grew up a lot like in a way that he would have raised a son. I was very much a tomboy. I played sports. I um, would help him when he would fix his car because I'm not very much like housewife material. And that's frowned upon in my culture because, you know, to be the perfect or traditional ideal Armenian wife, I don't fit under those standards. How I express myself in the modern age as a modern woman, uh, as opposed to what he expects, um, I have my own mind and I, I have a tongue that will allow me to speak and say certain things. You know, one of the conflicts will be about maybe, uh, so there's a few. <laughs> Growing up, it was just kind of like before we left the house type of thing, he would want to make sure we're dressed modestly and our clothes aren't too revealing. And I knew like, even when I would go shopping, this is not okay to wear. Dad wouldn't let me wear this type of thing. There have been instances, even, you know, in the past few weeks or so, I had bought this new pair of jeans. It's this thing that I would do when I was a kid. You know, you're excited. You kind of show your family, look what I got, new pants or new shoes, whatever. I like kind of showed him like, look, my new pants. And he goes, Helen, your jeans look a little too tight. And I was like, I look great. And I think because I said it in a little bit more of a playful, calm matter that he was like, oh, okay. In my mind, I was like, really? Like, that was it? She's not going to say anything? <laughs> I think he's also coming to the realization. And sometimes recently he's been saying it like, Helen, you're 27 years old. You have a good head on your shoulders. He tells me, he's like, you're smarter than me. You know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it was interesting when he said, he said, you're smarter than me. Like, because my dad, he didn't go to university. He's not college educated. And I think that's one of the reasons why he really pushed me to go to university. I was still in my master's, you know, in my grad program. And he was like, doctorate next, you know. He definitely challenges me to like, do better and strive for more. I have talked to him about the double standard of the expectations of this is what I want for you academically, but then I want you to dress this way and behave this way. I expect this from you. He tells me like, you know, in regards to academics and my career and, and speaking up for myself, but it's kind of this thing of, but you don't, you don't talk back to me type of thing. And, and it's not even just Armenian dads. It's kind of 
has moved on to the following generation of Armenian sons who believe the same thing, except unlike their fathers who want their daughters to be educated, I've found that Armenian men, you know, in my um, age group are not attracted to, not all of them, but um, the ones that I've come across, they do not uh, find it very attractive that I have a higher education than them. It's kind of like a turnoff in a sense. The way that I carry myself with being very modern and how I dress and how I behave and all that, I, my dad does worry actually it, it about it ruining my chances of marriage 100%. For myself, for my sister, yeah, because we're very, we have fire in us. And he always says like, where did you get this from? And we look at it and we're like, from you, that dominant personality. Um, and that's something that totally, totally bruises the Armenian man's ego. And I know I've said this to my sister, I getting to know Armenian guys in my own age group and the younger generation, I have found that I am not meant for an Armenian man. Like I am not built for them. And um, even how to speak kind of like, it's seen as inappropriate or, you know, shameful to curse, right? Oh, you're one of those girls. You're not pure. You're not clean because of the way you, you may dress or the music you may listen to or the, you know, the way you may speak. I just, it's not going to work. <laughs> what I think will bring my dad at ease, you know, in this world, um, I think he does feel at ease for the most part till it gets to that point of that marriage, right? That's that last thing. That's like that missing piece in my life, honestly. And I think when I have a partner, then that's when he'll go, okay, so she has a protector. She has someone to take care of her that she can depend on. And I think that will make him feel like, okay, like my job is completely done as that man figure, you know, that father figure. Now she has that partner. That is the missing piece for my dad. So I'm Dominican, but... Helen's story really resonated with me. As first gens, and especially as women, how can we talk to our parents about the burden of gender norms, especially when they're the ones enforcing them? How can we navigate these gendered expectations and instead help create an environment where we can be ourselves and thrive? I definitely need help with this one. So you know what I did? Called in an expert. My name is Amalia Tagakjian. I'm an LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I've been practicing for a little over a decade, decade and some change. And I primarily work with individuals, adults, for the most part, of all backgrounds um, and couples. You heard Helen's story. I did. What did you hear as you listened? Uh, she painted um, a picture that really resonated with me um, as a first-generation Armenian-American. It sounded as if she had a glimpse into my own life, my own upbringing. Um, so it was um, the expectations and responsibilities that come with being a woman, um, a girl growing up in a Armenian household in America, she was able to highlight a lot of the push-pull challenges. Let's talk about that push and pull because you've experienced it. She talked about it really beautifully. And it is something that is very familiar to first gens across ethnicities and nationalities. 
what is it about the immigrant experience in the context of um, Armenian culture that creates that tension, the push and pull? Across the board, when we're looking at really any, especially minorities within the culture of looking at first gen, a lot of these mimic each other. You so much, especially in knowing, and I think Helen touched on this, knowing the immense sacrifices that were taken by your parents. You so much want to root yourself here while sustaining that identity of who I am, who I grew up, who my parents are. And then you get pulled into it as you, you know, you start school, you start work. Which one of these makes sense? Which one of I am I more of or less of? Or I can be both. I just need to find my footing in. It's almost like you want to be loyal um, to your parents and your culture and where you come from and who you are, while at the same time saying, but I want to assimilate. Do you think it would be fair to characterize traditional gender norms as one of the last holds that people from other places might have on their identity? Like one of the easier things to assert about who I was and who I am in this new place? Because I'm really trying to understand what is the usefulness of gender roles in this context? Perhaps, perhaps because it, I, I don't know necessarily what role it serves, if any, as far as kind of anchoring us into our, our culture and kind of sustaining that part. But when your parents make all the sacrifices, uproot you and come here, they want what's best for you. And part of that, what's best for you kind of falls in line with the, the life that we couldn't have or that, you know, the opportunities we couldn't have. So if you can go to college, like myself included, go to college and then go to grad school and then what's after grad school, um, which is, you know, exactly the steps that I took. Um, no one kind of stood there and said, you know, what are you doing? It was encouraged, but it was foreign. But to be completely frank, I know many women who are incredibly happy um, with that expectation of be a homemaker and marry a nice man and have some children. And that is happiness. And that is your culture. Um, I just did not happen to follow that <laughs> mold. <laughs> yeah, I love how Helen is like, I'm not really housewife material. <laughs> and I really wanted to be like, girl, I've been a housewife. I hear you. Right? <laughs> but on a more serious note, I want to talk about her example because like you, you were encouraged to go to school. You were encouraged to pursue higher education. You were encouraged to become a professional woman, right? Mm -hmm. While still retaining your sense of identity. So was she. And she was specifically encouraged to do all of those things by her father, who is also the person who wants to assert the traditional gender norms also. And so, I, you know, we said there was this cognitive dissonance. So when you deal with folks who are in this space, what is your advice to them? How can they begin these conversations? How can they make them fruitful? I think there's going to be um, hopefully a great deal of productivity that can come out of that, um, out of having a conversation. And I can imagine listeners saying that that's much easier said than done. Um, but I imagine the harm that can come out of that is the the challenge back, the pushback to that of, I don't agree, or we're, we're not going to see eye to eye and where we kind of stand with that. And, um, with clients, when we're looking at trying to figure out, um, the, the, who you are, the pushing back to anything like gender roles and expectations, um, 
is having the understanding of really managing expectations, um, your own expectations. So knowing that, so if you're going in there in a goal-oriented fashion of once I have this conversation and they hold space for me, then we can move forward in understanding each other. And now they'll clearly understand me. That might not be the case, but what that doesn't mean is that you, meaning either either my client or anyone who's struggling with this first-gen identity um, and all of the kind of challenges and barriers that come with it, it's not true or it's not real to that, I would say. While they, that may not be validated, there has to be a lot of self-validation that comes and there's that part of it that's almost like the silent undertone of they may not, they may never understand. That's incredibly hard at times, um, given the, the standards of the culture and the expectations of the culture of you kind of seek out that validation. Um, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to make the choices that you're making or to make the, um, to take, take the steps that you're taking, kind of break those barriers, anchor yourself in your own culture while still continuing to assimilate to the American culture. Yeah. Whew. It all sounds so doable when you explain it. You're like, yes, I'm going to go and do all of that. But here's a complicating factor. And we've heard this often when we talk, especially to women who are not yet married, who don't have children yet, who are still at home, even though they are college educated, professional women. And it just seems like certain expectations get reinforced because of proximity. Because um, you're under the roof um, sometimes of, you know, the family, you still get to work on that, you know, finding myself, finding what um, matters to me. But it's a little bit more, for lack of a better word, in your face. I know at least firsthand experience, it, it felt that way of continuously seeing, you know, what at a dinner table, for example, um, myself, mom and dad eat who's going to clear the table, who's going to do the dishes. It's it's going to be myself. It's going to be myself or it's going to be my mom. Um, fast forward, I am now married. I do have a child. Um, my husband too is Armenian and that's something that we navigated through ourselves. What's the expectation now? Um, it's a shared responsibility. Something that, you know, let's say my father or my grandfather would, would look at me sideways of like, or look at him rather with severe judgment of what what is he doing in the kitchen next to you? Yeah, I think that there's definitely a generational evolution mm-hmm. that, that happens. Um, one of the funniest things <laughs> I ever experienced as a young wife, this was maybe year one or year two of my marriage. We were at a family gathering, my family, and I walked over to my husband and I said, you have to let me serve you a plate of food. Because the aunties are getting on my case. And if they don't see me bring you a plate of food, I am never going to hear the end of it. And he was like, but I'm not hungry. And I was like, it doesn't matter. And it was that. It was the pressure to conform to the gender norms of the wife has to serve the husband. And he could have cared less. <laughs> it's real. And I think I think a lot of people would completely relate to that, myself included. There is this immense sense of pressure when it's a gathering. It's it's different. And it is incredibly foreign if certain things don't take place because it almost seems like things aren't harmonious. No one knows almost like how to operate. Like I only know how to operate this way. So if you're operating that way, I don't know what to do with that. So actually, I wanted to ask about that because the more conversations I have about this, 
I realized that some of these norms are to reassure people that they have a place and that their role is secure. Do you see that maybe people find themselves enforcing norms and roles so that they can continue to secure their place and their standing? Absolutely. Um, This is incredibly common. And I think it almost speaks to this sense of um, almost like being being rooted, being anchored, and it, it feels safe. And of course, we are comfortable with um, repetition. We are comfortable with our known environment. So anything outside of that rattles us. So we need to repeatedly do what makes us feel safe and secure because it makes us feel safe and secure. So we need to constantly reinforce this environment that we know. Otherwise, it starts to feel shaky and our identities wouldn't um, almost feel true and feel real anymore. Hmm. All right, last question, um, because Helen is very keenly aware of how differently she was socialized because she's a daughter as opposed to being a son. And, you know, without saying this is true for everyone, talk to me about how gender plays into not just the expectations, but also the enforcement of some of these gender norms, even if the, in this quote unquote Americanized context. Um, I think when we're looking at male, female, women, men, um, expectations, you know, if you have a son, what I've seen at least throughout my practice, as well as in my personal life is the rules are a little bit more lenient, almost as if like the best way I could describe it is they almost expected the challenge. They almost expected that pushback because there is this sense of, um, you know, if there is something that I, let's say dad did that doesn't work here, then you, my son, go ahead and try something new so you can step outside of the boundaries that I have set for you. Whereas with women, the kind of antiquated, kind of backward, um, expected roles continue to remain true. And if you're a daughter, you're my daughter, and you're 25, and you're still not married, what would people think? So there is this um, external, you know, external pressure, external expectation, sense of judgment, which I think women tend to bear more. The daughters tend to bear more than um, the sons tend to, because they're they're allowed to kind of break those barriers a little bit. That whole what would people think? Oh, we hear that from everyone. <laughs> that resonates across the board. Amalia, what a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for holding space for this topic. It warmed my heart that there is space for this. So thank you. Okay, here's what we learned from Amalia today. Understand their basic needs. The need for safety and security runs deep in all of us. So be aware that much of your parents' resistance may be coming from a desire to do what has always felt safe, familiar. Consider the group dynamics. Larger family settings often create additional pressure. Conversations might be more fruitful when connecting one-on-one with your loved ones. And remember, manage your expectations. Your family may never share or even understand your point of view, but know that your feelings and experience are real and the fight is worth it. Thank you for listening and for sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of LWC Studios. 
Virginia Lora is the show's producer. Kojin Tashiro is our mixer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. I'm the creator, Julie Calantigua. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>